Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Are you interested in angels, demons, spirits, ghosts, and monsters? Are you curious about their origins, tales, and influence upon history and on the present day? If so, sit back, relax, and welcome to Southern Demonology, the podcast that explores all of this and more. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Southern Demonology. I'm JJ, and this episode, we're going to be looking at one of my favorite topics, the Nephilim, or the Giants. If you ever look at Genesis, or as in Hebrew, it's Bereshit, it is filled with mystery. Tons and tons of mysteries. In fact, so much so that academics and theologians and rabbis and priests have been struggling with it for centuries. Absolute centuries. And one of the most confusing of all passages has to come from Genesis 6. But before we delve any further into that line of inquiry, um, I want to give a few quick uh, channel updates. So, the first of all is all 10 episodes have now been put onto YouTube, and they are available uh, with some waveforms to make it a little interesting. So, if you want to physically watch them, you can. Uh, if you just want to listen to it on uh, YouTube Music, then that's available as well. And for those who have already checked it out, I really, really appreciate it. Um, I'm just trying to make this as widely spread as I possibly can. Um, I have also been working on... Uh, the revised website and I have the comp- back end completely rewritten um, it's most of it's there I uh, still have a, a few more models to go but then that will be up and I'm hoping that will uh, be finished by end of this week I want to say beforehand but it's been a little interesting transitioning everything over into a completely serverless model Uh, fun but still a a few bit of challenges that and I'm trying not to rewrite every single element to this thing so it's um yeah it's been interesting uh not in a bad way it's just uh I always love getting to learn new stuff, so that's been awesome. And I've also, uh, we've been a little bit more um, active on the Facebook page as well. Uh, actually had um, a free $10 credit through Facebook for advertising and spent that on some boosted stuff. And uh, it's actually reached quite a few more people than what I expected. So that has been fantastic. So if you've been coming to the uh, page and checking it out. Thank you uh, very much for the patronage. I really appreciate it. In fact, we have like over a hundred and twenty something likes now, which 
for those that deal with you know millions of subscribers it may not sound like much but you know for an extremely niche program that deals with you know academic topics and ghost stories and whatever else you know may be on my mind that given day um it, it means a great deal to me so for everyone who's been out there and who has interacted or sent emails or whatever it may be thank you very very much this has uh this has definitely been a learning experience for me and thank you for the patience and for continuing to listen uh, it means the world and please feel free to uh, send in any questions any comments that you have i'll reply back as soon as i can um, i did miss one or two messages on facebook uh, every once in a while just because the alerting system is not the best but uh have gotten much better uh about that and actually added a direct uh email communication button on the facebook page which is just facebook.com slash southern demonology so hopefully it'll be a little easier to reach me now but uh whether it's through messages or email or even youtube uh comments uh, go ahead and hit me up and i'll get back to you as soon as i can um, unless it's a malicious message or post, which have been a few, uh, then I will definitely get back to you as soon as I possibly can. And if I haven't gotten back to you and you feel snubbed, um, apologies and just hit me up again and we'll go from there. So anyway, let's delve back into uh, Bereshith. So uh, we're going to read a little bit from Genesis 6. And I'm using kind of the, the JPL uh, Jewish version to do this. Um, if you don't know, and I'm not trying to slight anyone or the religious uh, beliefs, that's the last thing I would ever do. But if I ever happen to read from Hebrew or Christian scriptures, I will not be reading from the King James Version uh, just because it's pretty bad um i mean so reading a, a a book in another language that's been translated is very much the old phrase is kissing through a veil you get the idea but you definitely don't get the full context of everything that's going on and the king james version besides you know taking uh, quite a few different liberties uh, also carries its own entire tradition right along behind it and we're trying to get to like the the basic truth and not some sort of you know constructed uh, tradition that has been carried along with that particular version so that's why we're staying away from it i'm definitely not bad mouthing it just trying to let you know where i'm coming from so that you can understand but let's go ahead and take a quick lesson to uh, Genesis 6 and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives whomsoever they chose and God said my spirit shall not abide in man forever for that he also is flesh, therefore shall his days be a hundred and twenty years. 
the Nephilim were in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, the same were the mighty men that were of old, the men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart uh, was only evil continually. And it represented God that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And God said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and fowl of the air, for it represent me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of God. We're going to stop there. Is anyone else thoroughly confused about what in the world was going on? And if you are, you are not the only one. Because that particular passage has spawned not only, you know, hundreds of commentaries, but also thousands of religious interpretations by priests, by saints. You have entire pseudepigraphal books dedicated to trying to explain what in the world this all meant. Because you've got quite a few different things going on here. You have the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? Now, if you look at other translations, you will see this more accurately. Well, not more accurately. You will see them grappling with this very idea. and They, in turn, in turn translate it as the angels of God. But angels of God and sons of God are entirely different. And the Hebrew is completely unequivocal about this. B'nai Elohim, the sons of God. So that is more than a little confusing right there on its face. And then we see that the sons of God um, saw the daughters of men that they were fair and took them wives. And that... Because man is flesh, the divine spirit cannot completely reside in it. And so the days of, you know, a, a person's life will be 120 years old. And then it talks about the Nephilim and it, it just keeps going on. So these mysteries are compounding upon themselves exponentially. And people have wrestled with what these passages happen to mean in the grand scheme of things. And so you've heard me mention the pseudepigrapha, but in case you haven't listened or this is your first episode or you just happen to forgot because they happened so long ago, which I apologize for, then the pseudepigrapha uh, directly translates from Latin as uh, false epitaphs. They were religious writings in which someone was essentially impersonating a famous figure from the Hebrew Bible in order to speak in an authoritarian manner about 
interpretations that they have devised. Some very famous books that have come out are First Enoch, well, there's multiple Enochs, First, Second, Third, but First Enoch is the most well known. It also was found in uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, so we know at some point at least certain contingencies of uh, Judaism considered First Enoch to be scripture. We have Jubilees, which addresses um, Genesis in a much more kind of thorough retelling and trying to go through the ages of the Jubilees and recounting all of that. Um, and then there's quite a few others. But really, it's Enoch and Jubilees that try to expound on the mysteries of Genesis 6. And they do so in pretty different ways. Primarily, the Enochian tradition runs with the idea of dualities, of good versus evil, and kind of links all of those separate verses in Genesis 6 together. If you go back to Genesis 6 and read them, they read as kind of separate entries from each other. And with Enoch, it actually goes through and tries to show how each one of those entries are directly related to one another. It has a lot more judgment against items than what the original uh, verses do and attempts to show how the sons of God are kind of the ultimate evil and that's really why the deluge was sent against the earth. So let's take a look at uh, Enoch here and it actually starts all in chapter 6 which is not a coincidence by any means of the word. Um, so, and this is kind of a rough translation. I could, most of my books are currently packed up. Um, so I don't have access to my decent translations. And I apologize for that. Uh, so what I'm reading is actually something that's from online. But it's still not all that great. But at least you can still get an idea of what in the world is going on. Um, so, chapter 6 starts off with, And it came to pass, when the children of men had multiplied, that in those days were born unto them beautiful and comely daughters. And the angels, the children of the heaven, saw and lusted after them, and said to one another, Come, let us choose wives from among the children of men, and beget us children. And Semichazah, who was their leader, said unto 
to them, I fear ye will not indeed agree to do this deed, and I alone shall have to pay the penalty of a great sin. And they all answered him and said, Let us all swear an oath and bind ourselves with a curse. Some places translate this strangely as mutual imprecations, but it's not. The, if you actually look at the Ethiopic, it says, bind ourselves with a curse. Uh, not to abandon this plan, but to do this thing. They swear they all together and bound themselves with a curse upon it. And they were in all 200 who descended in the days of Jared on the summit of Mount Hermon. And they called it Mount Hermon because they had sworn and bound themselves with a curse. And these are the names of their leaders. And I'm not going to read all of those. But the names in which they provide are the chiefs of ten. Um, and all the others together with them took unto themselves wives, and each chose for himself one, and they began to go in unto them. And yes, those are very particular pronouns that are being placed together, and I'm not going to go into the details of why. Um, and to defile themselves with them, and they taught them charms and enchantments and the cutting of roots, and made them acquainted with plants, and... They, the women, became pregnant, and they gave birth to great giants who height, whose height was 3,000 L's, or roughly three, what, 450 feet, I think, um, who consumed all the acquisitions of men. And when men could no longer sustain them, the giants turned against them and devoured mankind. And they began to sin against birds and beasts and reptiles and fish and to devour one another's flesh and to drink the blood. So, after the angels laid with the women, they gave birth to these uh, monstrosities who were gigantically tall. And there's an entire tradition about giants or gigantes from Greek uh, that kind of plays off some of the, you know, Olympic uh, type of mythos. Anyway, it gets really kind of complicated, not to mention that there are other warrior classes that are mentioned, not only further on in Genesis, but in other areas. But regardless, they gave birth to these things. And not only did they start to eat uh, people, but they also began to sin against birds and other animals. And when I mean sin, I mean they are fornicating. Uh, this is why they're often called the fornicating bastards. And the really interesting thing about these giants is that they defy the natural order. You have divine beings who are converting with flesh and blood so what are the giants they are made of flesh but they have the spirit of angels and that is a really prickly theological point that Enoch seizes upon and a lot of other texts actually they seize upon pretty dramatically so anyway um 
we have what the Giants have done, but then we go into a couple of other areas of teachings that these watchers bestowed upon um, the generations of man. So, for example, Azazel taught men to make swords and knives and shields and breastplates and made known to them the metals of the earth and the art of working them and bracelets and ornaments and the use of um, antimony and the beautifying of the eyelids and all kinds of costly stones. It's just kind of weird that uh, the author equated the evils of weapons and warfare with makeup. Uh, and yeah, yeah, a lot of texts kind of stupidly blame the entire corruption of the earth on the wiles of women. Um, Enoch, you know, first Enoch does this. Jubilees, it's a lot more uh, to blame on women. Yeah, it, it's not pretty, but it, you know, it, it is what it is, unfortunately. But anyway. After we get past all of these forbidden um, arts that the Watchers teach the generations of men, including astrology and knowledge of constellations, etc., then we have the Archangels looking down upon the earth, and they see, they hear the cries of the generations of men, they then beseech God, and it then God actually pronounces, you know, a sentence upon everything that, he, that they see. God then commands the archangels to take up the watchers, especially Azazel and Semichaza, and put them into the desert Dudael, cover them with stones so that they can't see light, but then really comes down, you know, extremely harsh on the Nephilim, the giants. Proceed against the bastards and the reprobates and against the children of fornication and destroy the children of fornication and the children of the watchers from amongst men and cause them to go forth. Send them one against the other that they may destroy each other in battle for a length of days they shall not have. So, all of this is really, according to First Enoch, the entire reason why the earth is covered in the flood and only Noah who has found grace in God's sight uh, is saved along with he and his. So this really kind of tries to give reason why these giants are called the Nephilim. Nephal in Hebrew means to fall, so the Nephilim could be probably badly translated as the fallen ones. And we actually see these things come up a lot in other um, Dead Sea Scrolls, such as 4Q, 5, 10, and 11. I know this has been kind of a reading-heavy episode. I apologize for that. But I, you've got to hear 4Q, 5, 10, and 11. Because it's just one of the most beautiful scrolls. And one that really captured my attention uh, back in school. But 4Q, 5, 10, and 11 essentially says, And I, the Mashkil, the instructor... 
and making a proclamation of his glorious splendor, gods, in order to instill dread and to terrify all the spirits of the angels of destruction, the spirits of the bastards, demons, Lilith, howlers, desert dwellers, and those who suddenly strike in suddenness to lead and astray and establish spirit and to charm hearts. So, if you listen to that, and that's my own translation, so forgive its, um, its crappiness, but you hear the spirits of the angels of destruction and the spirits of the bastards. And this is playing into that entire concept that these things are still around. And Enoch, the watchers, were placed into the desert Dudael, but they are still there. And the bastards, these giants, even though their bodies were sent into battle with one another and they've killed themselves, that only took care of the flesh. It did not eradicate that seed of divinity that was placed in them from their, that they inherited from their fathers. And so in Enochian fashion, these things are still floating around in the atmosphere. In fact, other texts explicitly state that they are always going to be around in the atmosphere somewhere in order to punish and terrify man for all the generations. And for key 5, 10, and 11, it's been theorized, and I've, I've went over this before, I believe, but if you take... So, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Essenes, the people that wrote them, they very much broke from the established rabbinic order and that they believed that the proper type of calendar to follow was one based on solar calculations not lunar and if you go by without precise instruments then you're going to get 364 days in a year if you follow a solar calendar that breaks down to essentially 360 days that are perfectly fine. Each, each one of those can be broken into a 90-day segment. And that forms essentially a wall. And so 360, you have 360 days of a perfect temple that surrounds humanity. But then you have these four days left over and they fall outside of that temple. And it's these four days of trouble in which humanity is at their greatest weakness. They are in the most danger possible. And part of the reason is that you have these spirits of the bastards, these giants that are still floating around in the air somewhere, these watchers, these, you know, corrupted angels that are buried beneath the sands of Dudael, whose spirits are able, in some way, shape, or form, 
to emerge from their burying uh, site in Dudael and come torment humanity. And the most frightful part of all of this is that it doesn't matter how established in God you are, you can be snatched away by these horrific, corrupted, divine beings. And that little nugget of belief has been preserved. And it has flown all the way through Second Temple Judaism, flown down the ages, and is still preserved, albeit in a much, much smaller form, in current day Christianity. So, although the Nephilim and Enoch have been destroyed, their spirits are still around, and it's a frightening thing. These were horrific bastions of destruction, and even though they have lost their bodies, they are still able to sin against their descendants, which is kind of interesting. But anyway, that is a deeper look into the giants and everything, or at least according to Enoch, or first Enoch, everything about them and how they still pose a danger and how the Essenes, the people that were responsible for writing the Dead Sea Scrolls, still actively saw them. Next week, we are going to take another item in that list of horrible things from 4Q, 5, 10, and 11, which is Lilith, and try to chart what in the world this thing is, what its roots are, and how it's been used in some much more modern entertainment, such as a very popular video game franchise that has taken it to be the latest incarnation of the greatest evil. So, I hope you join us. Uh, I really hope that you like this episode. If you have any further questions or anything else, hit me up. I'll get back to you as soon as I can. And until then, stay safe. And I, I hope that life is bringing you everything that it very well can. So, until next time. See ya.